Hey, and welcome to Basecamp. This is a podcast of all things, all people, where we exist to explore the darkest places and worldviews and equip Christians to engage them with the gospel. So that's the mission to Basecamp. We go out and explore the darkest places and worldviews, and we seek to engage people in the darkest and most difficult places. And we come back to places like this where we debrief, where where we share stories, where we do teaching, uh, where we do interviews, and we put it out there, all in hopes that you too would go and explore the darkest places and worldviews. To, to reach people in the darkest and most difficult places with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so today's episode um, is, is actually doing just that. It's engaging with the question of who and what is God, um, specifically looking at it through the lens of the Latter-day Saint view of, uh, of who and what God is and what he used to be, because as you're going to find out, that plays into uh, the conversation. And so uh, I'll go ahead and warn you, uh, this this episode um, is, is going to take you pretty deep mentally because it's probably going to engage with some questions, with some notions philosophically and logically um, that probably aren't best suited for a podcast. But honestly, I find that uh, we just need to put this stuff out there um, because most of us are not going to pick up textbooks. We're not going to take college courses on philosophy and logic. And so this might be the first time that you engage with, with uh, these topics, with these questions of, you know, where does everything come from? And uh, are, 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 are all answers to that question uh, equal, um, which they aren't. And so you're going to find out why. And so don't ever be afraid to follow up uh, by emailing me, jeremy at allthingsallpeople.org, or following me on Instagram, uh, at allthings.allpeople. But also, probably the best way to be a part of the ATAP community is by joining uh, the ATAP Exploration Society. It's our community that's devoted uh, to engaging the darkest and most difficult places with the gospel. And the best way to be a part of the Exploration Society, yeah, we have merch, you should make donations and get merch and all those things, uh, but the best way is sign up for the Exploration Society Journal, which is our alt-weekly, our our, our twice-a-month email magazine, so to speak, where uh, every two weeks you're going to get articles written by me and other people. You're going to get features from the podcast. You're going to get insider material that we don't publish to social media, um, as well as other things. And actually, if you sign up for the uh, Exploration Society Journal before next week, which is September 6th, um, 2023, um, you're going to be entered in a giveaway to win all of our merch, which right now is an Exploration Society uh, hat, moisture wicking hat. Um, I, I wear it every single day. Um, I wear it golfing. Um, I wear it when I'm driving around in my car with that doesn't have air conditioning here in Western North Carolina in August. Um, and uh, it holds up to those tests as well as the Exploration Society diner coffee mug, um, which I drank my coffee out of actually this morning and an Exploration Society sticker that um, is all over my car, water bottles, everywhere I go. Um, me and my friends, uh, it seems to be everywhere uh, in my life. And so if, if you sign up for the Exploration Society Journal uh, on September 6th, when that journal goes out, um, there's going to be included the name of the winner. Uh, and so you, you have the opportunity to, to get all that merch for free. Uh, but we want you to be a part of that community no matter what. Um, and go ahead and make a donation uh, to ATAP and you'll get uh, a free Exploration Society hat, mug, or sticker as a, as a thank you gift, um, but also as a way to show that you belong to the mission of ATAP because you don't have to be writing things. You don't have to be creating podcasts. You don't have to be going into these crazy places that I go into 
uh, to be a part of reaching the darkest and most difficult places with the good news of Jesus. All you have to do is just is just do it. Um, and so we want to serve as a place to inspire you, to equip you, and to give you uh, a line to people who are doing the same thing. And so with that, um, we're going to dive into the question today of, of who and what is God, and specifically, is God actually a human? So let's go. I recently sat for a meeting with two young Latter-day Saint missionaries with a friend of mine, and I had reached out to them actually through the Latter-day Saint website where you can request a meeting with Latter-day Saint missionaries. Uh, I I reached out just simply because I wanted to meet the missionaries that had been assigned to uh, my town here in Western North Carolina. And as we sat there, it was probably the difference in dress code which is the first difference someone would have noticed, but I imagine it wouldn't have been the last because Latter-day Saint missionaries had their standard uniform on crisp white button down shirts, pressed pants and and polished shoes. And on the other side of the table, um, I was wearing my standard uniform, which is golf shorts, flip flops and a, and a black t-shirt. We had sat there for an hour chatting about their two year mission and how it had been going. And the entire time I kept in mind what I always keep in mind when I talk to Latter-day Saint missionaries, which is what I want you to keep in mind as well. Uh, They're young, uh, typically 18 to 22 years old. They spend a little bit of time in Provo at the missionary training center, and then they're sent out for a two-year mission, or in the case of young women, oftentimes it's 18 months. And my friend Jake and I had set up this appointment uh, to talk about their belief in God. Um, And... As I sat there and listened to them, they did a tremendous job, as most LDS missionaries that I've ever talked to do, presenting the standard stuff about you know, what Latter-day Saints believe about God, what they believe about Jesus. And all of this comes from the four LDS canonical books, which is the King James Bible, Doctrines and Covenants, uh, the Pearl of Great Price, and of course, the Book of Mormon. Their, their truth, their, their scripture, their revelations also based in the continued revelation that comes down through the presidents of the church who function as modern day prophets. And so uh, what's interesting though, is, is despite the fact that all of these different sources come into play is, is usually to someone unfamiliar with Latter-day Saint doctrine, these introductory lessons that missionaries do uh, seem like the teaching found within Christianity. It's almost impossible to find a difference, um, unless you know what to ask. And so after they finish and, you know, we sit there and talk about it, I, I asked them, um, you know, Hey, do you, are you guys aware that what you believe about God is really different than what we believe about God? And, uh, the, the more talkative of the young men shakes his head. Yes. He goes, yeah. yeah." But he says, but everybody believes different things about God, even different denominations within Christianity believe about different things about God. So yeah, we, we believe different things about God than you guys. And so I I shake my head and I'm, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm thankful that they're even willing to entertain the notion that we have substantial differences, but I I continue on and I, and I ask, are you guys familiar with what Latter-day Saints believe about heavenly fathers past life in a different sphere of existence? Heavenly Father is their term for God. And, uh, you know, they kind of smirk and look at each other, and and it kind of tells me that there's probably no script for that question, at least not the first meeting. And they say, yeah, we we definitely know about that, but that's not something we talk a lot about. And I said, great, 
let's talk about that then because I'm fascinated by it. And so I get up from the table and I run across the coffee shop to grab a napkin and I sit back down and before I do anything, I say, Hey, let me explain the difference in what you believe about God and what I believe about God. Uh, the same way that I do to my students and to people who I teach about Latter-day Saint theology. And you can tell me if I'm representing your belief well. And they nodded and smiled. And, and I began drawing on this napkin in the middle of this coffee shop. And on the first side of the napkin, I drew a point and a line extending out of it that represented God creating everything out of nothing. And on top of that side of the napkin, I wrote creatio ex nihilo and explained that this was the position held by most Christians throughout history. And then I flipped the napkin over. And I began to talk about the words of Joseph Smith in his teachings about Heavenly Father. Um, in his teachings about Heavenly Father, especially from the King Follett discourse, which we'll talk about here in a minute, and the idea that he lived a past life as a faithful saint in a different sphere of existence. After this life, he was given the opportunity to become a God himself along with his wife. And so I draw what looks like a tic-tac-toe board on the napkin and explain that presumably... Other faithful saints from that same sphere of existence would have been given the same opportunity, and they too would be gods with their own spheres of existence to create and populate with spiritual children. And I circled the tic-tac-toe board and said, some people might actually use the word multiverse to describe this system where there's different spheres of existence or different universes simultaneously existing with different gods over each one of them. I looked up and saw looks of amused bewilderment on their faces. And I asked, am I representing your belief fairly? And one of the missionaries says, yeah, but you should know that a lot of that isn't necessarily official church doctrine. And I smiled. I said, absolutely. But it seems like it would be the logical conclusion of what the church teaches, right? And they nod and they say, yeah, I guess you could say that. And so then I asked this, this last question. I said, awesome. So here's the question. If we could tear down the wall between our sphere of existence and another one, and the heavenly father that we find in that universe is more perfect than the heavenly father that we find in this universe, would you worship him instead? And so as we dive quickly into just a basic, a basic conversation, and this isn't even really a conversation because it's one way you're just listening to me talk. Um, about what do Latter-day Saints believe about God? And the, in the, in the, the, the question at the top of this show even, is God human? It has to start with developing a basic understanding of Latter-day Saint theology proper, which is theology proper is the study of God, and then LDS cosmology, which is the study of origins and the beginning of all things. Where does everything come from? And so um, my you know Latter-day Saint friend, uh, the missionary who's sitting across from me, uh, he's right. Um, one of the frustrations and difficulties of this conversation is that a lot of the, a lot of the things that we know about Latter-day Saint doctrine are, are not doctrine at all. Um, because there's been nothing written about it and none of the presidents, uh, throughout time have necessarily addressed it in full. Um, and so, in my opinion, sometimes that's used as a loophole um, in conversations like the one that I had with my missionary friends um, to say, you know, yeah, that's that, you know, that might be kind of where this logically goes, but because it's not church doctrine, we don't want to get bogged down in that. And so to start off, I, this is why I think this conversation is fair and necessary. Um, I don't think that a belief system 
that you, that you hold that you also haven't followed to its logical conclusions. Like you haven't gone to the parts of your belief system that sometimes can take you places that you're not sure you're ready to go. Um, then if there are corners of your belief that you don't want to uncover, that's a problem. And, and, and within evangelicalism, in Orthodox Christianity, we have these same things. You know, I, I, I entertain questions from people all the time about um, the difficult parts of our faith, uh, things like the conquest of Jericho, um, things like the Passover. Um, it's, it's academically disingenuous um, or just disingenuous in general to not talk about these things, especially when a non-believer asks us about them. So I think it's perfectly fair sitting across from, you know, a Latter-day Saint who, who I have a, a relationship with, um, to say, Hey, is it okay if we follow the logical conclusions of your faith? Um, which, which really, it's not even that it's not there. It's just not like Canon because all of this comes back, um, to the words of Joseph Smith, in the April General Conference of 1844 in Nauvoo, Illinois, what we call the King Follett Discourse. Uh, this is a sermon that he gave where he began to reveal what he says God had revealed to him about his own nature. And so he says these words, God himself was once as we are now and, and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. If the veil were rent today or tore and the great God who holds this world in its orbit and who upholds all worlds and all things by his power was to make himself visible. I say, if you were to see him today, you would see him like a man in form, like yourselves in all the person image and very form as a man for Adam was created in the very fashion image and likeness of God and received instruction from and walked, talked and conversed with him as one man talks and communes with another Smith here. Um, in 1844 introduces uh, what would come to be known as the doctrine of exaltation and eternal progression. The idea that humans have the opportunity to become like God is because God at one point, heavenly father was at one point as we are now. And that's actually probably the best way to phrase this doctrine. It comes from an early uh, Latter-day Saint leader named Lorenzo Snow he says, as man is now, God once was. As God is now, man may be. And so just if we stopped here, if we stopped here and you wrote down what historic Orthodox Christianity teaches about God and what the Latter-day Saints um, believe about God, and if we were to erase the titles over those lists and you were to apply the veil of ignorance to those sets of beliefs, and somebody asked you, are these two the same religion? You would have to say no, right? One says that God is human, that he has a wife, that he is, he is flesh and bone, uh, that he's lived a past life as a normal human on a different sphere of existence. Um, and then the other says that God is spirit. God is a mind, if you would, um, that he is preexistent. He is eternal, um, that he does not have a wife and that he created everything out of nothing. And so the two sides of my napkin that day in the coffee shop represent two differing views, like hugely differing views, not just different beliefs, but two different belief systems on eternity past. 
Um, and Joseph Smith continues in the King Follett discourse to describe that the way God created this sphere of existence, this universe, was not out of nothing, but was that actually uh, he fashioned and formed um, everything that exists out of matter and material that is eternal, and that previous to his exaltation existed in a primordial chaotic state. And so um, Joseph Smith actually explains that uh, the matter itself had no beginning and can have no end. And so Smith is suggesting uh, that the Christian teaching known as creatio ex nihilo, creation out of nothing, is wrong and unbiblical. He suggests instead that it's matter that's eternal and exists in some sort of chaotic state until an exalted saint fashions it into a new sphere of existence or universe. And so the tic-tac-toe board that I described in, 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 in uh, talking about what I'm drawing on this napkin and, and how really, if you follow this, this system, logically, what you end up having is, is, is actually something that once again, is not official church teaching, but has been addressed by early church leaders, namely Brigham Young, um, Smith's successor, where he states how many gods there are. I do not know, but there never was a time when there was not gods and worlds. And when men were not passing through the same ordeals that we are now passing through. That course has been from all eternity, and it is and will be to all eternity. And so the theology proper and the cosmology of Smith and Young suggests that there's a past infinite regression of gods and worlds. And all of these gods exist in the form of exalted humans having lived lives on past spheres of existence, the worlds they created fashioned out of eternal matter. These various universes exist apart from one another, yet exist simultaneously. So, Latter-day Saint cosmology is a, is a multiverse system. Um, now, that's not something that you're going to hear at the General Conference in Salt Lake City. Um, but once again, it, it's the logical conclusion of Latter-day Saint doctrine. And in fact, um, saints are beginning to address this notion, especially as uh, some uh, secular cosmologists and physicists are beginning to uh, be more and more curious about the potential for multiverse systems in general. And so there's actually a paper called Eternal Progression in a Multiverse, written by Dr. Kirk Hagen, uh, who's a professor of engineering and is also a Latter-day Saint. Um, and, and seemingly, you know, if, if you read the article, uh, he seems to have a tremendous grasp, uh, not just on science, but LDS doctrine. And he suggests that the multiverse model might be an essential component of Latter-day Saint theology. He says, in a Mormon multiverse, a being who progresses to godhood brings about a universe for which that God has dominion. To provide suitable worlds for their children, the gods endow their universes with the required physical properties to sustain life. In Mormon theology, gods exist simultaneously, so separate universes coexist in the eternal multiverse. In, in, in a given multiverse epic, each universe is the ensemble, uh, in the ensemble may be anthropomorphically characterized as a newborn, a child, an adolescent, an adult, or a senior citizen, depending on the age, the time that's passed since each universe's own big bang birth into the multiverse family. 
The spirit children of the God of a given universe presumably must finish their mortal probation, progressing to the degree of glory prepared for them long before their universe fulfills its purpose. The children who achieve the highest degree of glory, those who achieve godhood, eventually bring about their own universes and populate them with their children. And the cycle continues eternally. These are the words of, once again, uh, Kirk Hagen. What he's basically saying is that in this multiverse system, uh, that seems to him to, to be the logical conclusion of Latter-day Saint theology, which I, I agree that is the logical conclusion, is that uh, gods exist simultaneously, as he says, and each universe uh, that's created or sphere of existence um, might you know, they all, there's a whole infinite regression of them. They're all di- all these different universes are different ages, but this, the same thing is true about each one of them, that they all had their own. And he says, big bang type birth. So they all appear to be created out of nothing, but they're not created out of nothing. Um, that out of these universes come humans who then become gods and go to other universes and create out of preexistent material something that appears to be a new universe. And Hagen says the cycle continues eternally. And so I know this is complex, um, but it's important to note uh, that this is right. This is the the type of thinking that's coming even out of the ranks of the educated Latter-day Saint population. Hagen likely represents a growing number of saints who are pleased by the growing popularity of multiverse models, both in the field of cosmology and in popular culture because of things like the Marvel cinematic universe. Um, and so our world historically has been dominated by two cosmological theories. Uh, the, the theological theory, creatio ex nihilo, which suggests that create, everything came out of nothing. And then the scientific Big Bang theory, which despite the fact that it's often vilified by evangelical Christians, um, suggests a similar notion, which is that everything uh, came out of nothing and that history, the universe, existence, all comes from a single point. So the Latter-day Saints, though, find great solace in a theory that suggests that a universe can seem to have come from a single point of creation while not actually coming from nothing. Uh, so, so once again, while this is not the doctrine of the LDS church, Hagen, in my opinion, should be commended for doing what I asked my missionary friend to do, follow the logical conclusions of the doctrine that has been officially endorsed by the church. So despite this uh, uh, commendation, both the official cosmology of the LDS and the attempts to reconcile it to the world of science, though, fail to stand up to the critical eye. Because when we look at this, the idea that comes out of Latter-day Saints, both that God is human, uh, essentially, and that he exists in an exalted state and the logical conclusion that comes out of that, which is this past infinite regression of universes and gods, um, Brigham Young goes so far to say, right, that, that there's never been a time without worlds and gods. Um, this is flawed logically. Um, and, and actually I want to walk through some of these flaws with you. Um, because in in my opinion, it's not only important for you in the case, you know, that you're talking to somebody who belongs to the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, but also walking through these problems, walking through these flaws in this other system, I think should strengthen our own faith that we have good reason to believe what we believe. So the first flaw is this, that there's actually a problem when we suggest that in an actualized world, in a world that actually exists, uh, that an actual infinity exists. Because think about it, right? The past 
infinite regression of worlds and gods, as Brigham Young would say, also leads, as Brigham Young once said as well, that there never would be a time without worlds and gods. And so the very foundation which LDS theology sits upon is faulty. Um, the system founded on infinite past and an infinite future erodes the integrity of Latter-day Saint theology because an actual infinity cannot exist in a finite world. It's a kind of a weird thing to say because I think we, as Christians, we talk about infinity all the time. Like we talk about eternity all the time. But when we really think about it, an actual infinity, something that never ends and something really that never began cannot exist in, in an actual finite world. And one of the best examples of this um, came from David Hilbert, an influential 20th century mathematician. Uh, he fashioned the classic Hilbert's Hotel argument to, to show this. And so I'll walk you through it basically. Uh, it, basically, it's, it's imagine you're the proprietor of a hotel and that hotel has an infinite number of rooms. And each of those rooms has a guest in it. So you somehow or another, right? We, we suspend, uh, we suspend our disbelief for the purpose of this parable. Um, you have an, a hotel with infinite rooms and every single room has a guest in it. And a traveler walks into the lobby and asks if there are any vacancies, but before you can say no, you have an idea. You have each of the current guests move one room to their left room, one to room two, room two to room three, etc. And so an infinite set moves one room to their left. And by doing this, room one is now vacant. So you can put your guest in that room. But before you celebrate your success, an even larger a problem arises. An infinite number of travelers make their way into your lobby, each of them looking for a room. Before you lose hope, you have another idea. You have each of your current guests go to the room number that is double their current room. So room one goes to room two, room two to room four, room three to room six, etc. Now what you have is, is all of the even number rooms have guests in them, but every single one of the odd number rooms is now vacant. Congratulations. You have actually added two infinite sets together where it appeared that it was impossible. This argument is made uh, really popular in the last 20 years by William Lane Craig. Um, so I, I don't take, not only, of course, did I not come up with that, but, um, I learned that most predominantly from listening to William Lane Craig, um, but at the core of this silly story proves a very serious point. The multiverse system that is the logical conclusion of Latter-day Saint theology is likely impossible because it would require in a finite world for an infinite set to continue to grow and expand in an actual set of worlds. So this would, this would only be possible uh, in, a, in an infinite world. Um, and as we know from logic, from cosmology, from physics, you know, the world we believe in is the, the world that we live in, as far as we can tell, is not infinite, um, that there is a finite uh, capacity to this world. And so that's just one of the logical problems with the, the Latter-day Saint multiverse system. The second one that I like to point out is the problem of what I call a meta morality with no moral lawgiver. So if you're familiar with philosophy, if you're familiar with apologetics, this is similar to the moral argument, but the problem that's specific to uh, a Latter-day Saint is that, you know, you're laying in bed at night as a Latter-day Saint missionary and you're laying there and you, you lay awake asking, so who decides what makes a good saint in those past universes? 
You know, as we've observed, there's a past regression of universes in the LDS system. And we also stumble upon an, a past infinite regression of morality, right? Each of these systems, each of these universes, there's, there's an aspect of, of eternal progression and, and exaltation, which says that a, somebody who lives a faithful life would then go to the highest realm of heaven and possibly be given the opportunity to become a God themselves. So the question is, where does this morality, which governs a saint's eternal progression come from? If the very God they serve was once subject to it as well over each of those supposed multiverses uh, or spheres of existence lies a meta morality that has no original author or source. It just goes back and back and back and back. Are we to believe that the morality by which these universes are governed is preexistent with no personal author or does each heavenly father get to impose upon each universe a new morality? thereby existing relativistically from the moralities found in other universes. You know, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. I'm not sure a Latter-day Saint would either. These questions, though, seem to point in a nonsensical direction, which continues to hurtle us towards the rising mountain of glaring issues found in the cosmological section of LDS theology, right? The question is, um, all of these universes are governed by some sort of morality. Where does the morality come from? Well, it doesn't come from the Heavenly Father of that universe, presumably, because he was subject to that morality at one point in his life too. And, and once again, right, we have turtles all the way down uh, to use the, the turn, the phrase. Um, another problem is it comes once again from another classic argument for God's existence, which the LDS uh, are going to find problematic, which is the problem with terminality in the cosmological argument. The Latter-day Saint suggestion of a multiverse system still leads us to the question that every human wonders at one point, where does all of this come from in the first place? And, and as one plays out the thought experiment of how this regression would have played out, there are two possible outcomes. Either that line of universes is in fact past infinite. Like, so if you can try and formulate that in your mind, the idea that there's a past infinite regression of universes which as we've seen, you know, from the problem of infinity presents an issue in itself. Um, but there's also the possibility, right? That there is in fact an ultimate creator being at the beginning of all of it, right? Brigham Young might've been wrong, right? That, that maybe there was a time where, where a creator being existed and began this, uh, this LDS, uh, domino line of universes, so, so this being is the one who created the primordial preexistent matter and who set the wheels in motion, um, right? This is the logical conclusion of the cosmological argument, which was pioneered by the 12th century Muslim theologian um, Al-Ghazali, and he phrased it, every being which begins has a cause for its beginning. Now, the world is a being which begins, therefore, it possesses a cause for its beginning. So while this seems simple enough, at this point, even the Latter-day Saint cosmologist would nod in agreement, right? That, that, that yes, everything that begins to exist has a cause for its existence. The universe began in its existence, so it has a cause. And the, the LDS theologian would say, yes, it does, right? Heavenly Father began or brought about its existence. Yet the cosmological argument necessitates that we inquire about the nature of this first cause of all of the universes, and wonder what kind of nature it must have had. Um, that to create matter, to create time, to create space, the ultimate uh, terminal being at the beginning of the cosmological argument cannot be material, 
cannot take up space, cannot be subject to time. So obviously the heavenly father found within LDS theology does not fit this necessary requirement, um, given the belief in exaltation and eternal progression. Um, but of course the latter day saint wouldn't say that he does, but one must wonder, right? Is the logical conclusion of this past regression of universes that at the beginning of that system, that there's a, a, an uncaused cause. And if there was, would it then be true that all heavenly fathers over all of these past uh, spheres of existence, existences, including the one that we're in, wouldn't it be true then that those heavenly fathers would worship that, that first being that brought about all these things into motion. So with that notion, then we also come up with what I, what I believe is probably the biggest problem is that in relation to the possibility that Latter-day Saints, you know, follow that logical conclusion and says, well, maybe, maybe there's a being at the beginning of all these things who started this whole thing in motion, you know, or, or, or when you compare those two lists of the God found in historic Orthodox Christianity, and then the God of the Latter-day Saints is that at the end of the day, the heavenly father found in Latter-day Saint theology, the one who they believe fashioned this universe out of preexistent matter and who, who formed as spiritual children, uh, you and I, um, this is a lesser God, you know, and, and so Ultimately, we find that in compared to the terminal being <laughs> proven by the cosmological argument, uh, it, compared to the God of the 66 books of the Bible, that the God described in Latter-day Saint theology is, is an imperfect man uh, that has been given status as a God, but he is not God eternally. He's, he's not perfect. And in fact, some saints might even suggest that God himself continues to become more and more perfect. And so while John chapter four, verse 24 says, God is spirit and Psalm 90 verse two says he has been God from everlasting to everlasting. The latter day saint disagrees with that. Malachi three, six says that he never changes. And Solomon proclaimed in first Kings eight, verse 27, that the heavens cannot contain God. Uh, the Latter-day Saints says that he's a man with flesh and bones. Yahweh is revealed through the entirety of his scriptures as an immense God of infinite power and magnitude. And in his created order, which is the entirety of all things ever created, he is the only one worth worshiping. Yet even the founders of the church say that somewhere else, Somewhere else in time, somewhere else in space, there are other gods, and they might even be further along the process of eternal progression than our Heavenly Father. So no matter the lofty language used to describe him, the Heavenly Father found within Latter-day Saint tradition is a shadow of a god and stands as just one more way humanity has sought to ascribe their worship to someone other than the one true God who created this universe out of nothing. And so the Latter-day Saint missionary sitting across the table from me looks at the napkin and says, well, I don't know. That's a question I've never thought of before. The question where I said, hey, if I could tear down that wall, would you worship another heavenly father if he was more perfect? And they stared at each other and, and shook their heads. And, and I said, I don't believe that a God who might pale in comparison to another should be worshiped in the first place. I don't believe we worship the same God as the Latter-day Saints. It's a completely different God. And I don't mean for my words to you or to the Latter-day Saints sitting across from me at the table to necessarily be offensive in a way that, that I want to hurt you. 
but I also don't want to sacrifice truth or false unity. And so my meeting that day ended cordially. Um, actually, we we ended up hanging hanging out more with those guys. They they were a lot of fun. Um, but at the end of the day, we we worship completely different gods because God is not a human. <laughs> He's not an exalted man. Um, and the joy of that day for me uh, came as we were getting ready to leave the coffee shop and. Uh, one of the missionaries looks at the napkin, points to it and says, Hey, could I keep that? And of course I, I, I smile and hand it to him. I say, absolutely. And, uh, so I don't know if that napkin found its way into a trash can or into the hands of a mission president who used it as a training tool for how to deal with problematic evangelicals. Uh, either one's fine because all I hope is, is that Latter-day Saints sitting across from me, or maybe even listening to this podcast or even Christians for that matter might come to the realization that was drawn out on that napkin, that the God that I worship, that the God of historic uh, Orthodox Christianity is not the same God as the Latter-day Saints. He is different. He is unique. He is infinite. He is the only one worth worshiping. And no matter how hard I try, I am not, and I never will be. So that's a lot. That's a lot, I know. Uh, if you stuck it through all the way to the end, congratulations. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, who we say God is, what we say God is really matters. And, uh, it, 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 it really matters to the rest of our belief. And so, um, let me know what you think of that. Reach out to me at Jeremy at all things, all people.org. Um, review the show. If you like it, if you don't like it, just move along. Uh, don't worry about it. Um, we don't want you to review it. That's, that's no, no problem. You won't, you won't bother us if you don't review it. So, um, but if you disagree with me, let me know. I want to hear from you. If you're a Latter-day Saint, I want to hear from you. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, the whole point of base camp is that as we go out and explore, as we go out and have these experiences, we want to be able to come back and debrief and share what we've learned from the, from those explorations, from engaging the, the darkest and most difficult places with the gospel. And so we'll be back at it next week with more debriefing with more base camp stories. Um, and until then, thanks.